Well, hello, everyone, and we are ready for Ephesians chapter 5 already. Now, um, we know that this is our Bible, and it is God's word. Every word is true, and it is all that we need. And so would you pray with me, please? Father, we thank you for this book, and we certainly want to make sure that we hear you speak to us because you are speaking to us. Lord, we know that these couple of chapters are such warnings, such instruction, how you expect us to live, and you are serious about it. So Lord, we take it seriously. We need your Holy Spirit to take these words off the page and into our hearts so that we understand better. And we thank you for loving us so much that you you want us spared from from what we what we shouldn't have to go through. And Lord, we know that a lot of consequences are our own choosing. And Lord, you want to spare us from that. So thank you for your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, like I prayed, Ephesians 4 and 5, I think, are two chapters that really warn us um, Paul is, well, he's serious. I mean, look at last week when he started by saying, I urge you, I urge you to live a life worthy of your calling. He said that is to be completely humble. Keep God in his place and you stay in yours. Be gentle. Be patient. Be bearing with one another in love, the unconditional love. Love when, the, when it isn't even easy. Love the way Jesus loved. And then he uses the phrase, make every effort. So in other words, it isn't easy. You have to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit Try to get along. Try not to demand your rights. Try not to stick your heels in in the sand and just be stubborn. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit. Work toward maturity. He, He talks about the spiritual gifts and that the Lord gives us spiritual gifts Um different ones to different people for different purposes. But yet we know that the ultimate purpose is to be able to expand the kingdom of God, to be able to to keep the to keep people hearing the gospel. And the more that we hear it, it's kind of like what I said about when Paul was writing this letter. This letter probably um, um, encouraged him and reminded him um, as much as he was writing for the people of Ephesus. So, you know, sometimes we just need to be reminded about how much we need God's word, how we, much we need to plug into his spirit and not our own self, and how we need to really make every effort. I mean, it is work, and we need to mature. And he says, if you aren't maturing, then you're, you're like an infant. You're, you're up and down, and you're not consistent. And, and, you know, he says, you're on an emotional roller coaster. Sometimes our spiritual lives go according to what's happening in our lives. So when we're up, then our spiritual life is up. And when we're when we have tough times in our spiritual life goes down. But Paul is saying our spiritual walk with the Lord, whether whether it's hard times or whether they're real good times, our spiritual walk with the Lord should stay steady no matter what's going on in our physical lives. 
And that's a sign of maturity, that we are growing, and that we're not going backwards, and that we're not like, like infants, and we're up and down and moody, and we're all over the place. And, you know, sometimes the Lord is so wonderful, and then sometimes we almost can shake our fists at him. That's a sign of immaturity, because we know the more we get to know him, the more spiritual we become, the, the more our spiritual life grows and we get to know him better. We find we are more stable. We're, we're more steadfast. We're, we're even keel. And then he uses the phrase to, I insist, I insist upon. And then when, we, when he writes that, when you know that he says, I insist upon that you don't go backwards, that you don't go back to that old way of life, that... And we know ourselves. We know that the Holy Spirit is out to change us into Christ's likeness. And if you would think back of what you used to be like, you think about how even though you might have been such a good person, even back then you were a good person. But do you realize that that no matter what kind of person we are, even if the exterior appears to be, and people look at us and they think we're such good people, a heart without Jesus is just as dark as some of what we consider the worst of sinners. I mean, that's why Paul calls himself the worst of sinners. You and I should call ourselves the worst of sinners, because a heart without Jesus, they all look the same. And so he talks about, um, I insist, I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord that you don't go back, that you make every effort, that you work hard at this. He is serious that we don't go back. And then he says, get rid of, get rid of things like, like falsehood, lying. And he says, be truthful to people and get rid of, of things like, bitterness and rage and anger and brawling and slander and every form of malice. Get rid of that kind of behavior. I like the way he said that that's just not, that's just not the way the Lord expects us to live. So when we catch ourselves in that kind of behavior, this is not pleasing our Savior, and that should matter to us. And don't let unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. In fact, as we go into the fifth chapter today, you see that he pretty much stays on that same kind of instruction and warning. I mean, he says, be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Be imitators as dearly loved children, you know, if you've had children in your life, and, and you know you have, it is the cutest thing when you watch children imitate. You know, like sometimes a little girl will imitate her mom. I know I used to try to do that. I'd watch her get ready, and I would want to look just like that. And then little boys, how they imitate their dads. And and uh, and sometimes I think if you've had children, you watch them imitate you in not too good of ways, too. They're watching. Their little eyes are looking at us, and they they 
mimic, they imitate. And that's why Pop would say that way. As children, and we are, we're God's children, now imitate and and imitate the character of God. Imitate the character of Jesus. Make sure that is character of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. That his character is coming out of you. Uh, the thought of even even being like Jesus in a small way is such incentive that we have the tools, we have the Holy Spirit, we have his word, and if we are willing to make the effort, and if we really desire to imitate God and to be like Jesus, we can, and we can, we can as we mature in his word and as we grow in, in becoming more like him, we can see those traits and Paul is saying we should that should be a real goal of ours and that that we're willing to live our life of love that unconditional kind of love that we're willing to live that kind of love to others just as Christ loved us and was willing to put himself aside for for our for our sake and that's that is what Paul is saying think about that strive for that. May that be a goal. Work at it. I mean, I go back to those phrases. I urge you. I urge you. I insist upon get rid of those things that are keeping you from imitating God. It should be something that you want badly. And then he he goes on and it goes a little deeper. Um, But among you, there must not be even a hint, a hint of sexual immorality. I think he puts it that way because so often we can we can read over that thinking, well, you know, um, I haven't done something um, um, sexually immoral, but he's saying not even a hint of it. So be careful about thoughts. Be careful about um, how those little innuendos can come through. Uh, You can't help it. I keep saying this, but it's so true. You can't help it when a thought maybe passes through because we're rubbing elbows with this world and boy, this is a sexual world. And so the thought or some what we see with our eyes, we can't help that because we do live in this world. However, we can help it if we if we don't take that thought captive to the Lord Jesus and allow him to get rid of it. And you know, it's like that little phrase, we can't help it that a bird flies over our head, but we can help it if he makes a nest in our hair. And and Paul is saying, when that thought comes through, you get rid of it. Don't, don't hint with it at all. Take it captive to the Lord Jesus. We, as human beings, fall so prey to the world and its culture and, and what everybody's doing and what we just seem to be being fed all the time. And Paul says, no, that kind of behavior is not acceptable. So put away, don't even hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed. 
I mean, these are such common things today. I just don't know how to put it because I think you know. I don't have to explain it. We're living in a very self-centered, greedy, me, myself, and I world. And you know the phrase, if it feels good, do it. I mean, it's, it's about me. I can make my own choices and I answer to no one. Those are the, the things the world is trying to teach us. And Paul's saying, that is not true. You're buying the lie of the enemy. You know, people think that Christianity is such a bunch of rules and we can't do this and we can't do that. And yet, yet, the Bible talks about how we are, we are free in Christ, freedom in Christ. How can we have such freedom when he, conf- when he confines us and puts all these commands and instructions around us? Well, do you know that freedom in Christ means that we are free now to decide to do right? You know, beforehand, we were just, you know, we were caught in the world and and we we didn't have a choice because it's just the way we were we we were conceived in sin we're born in sin and we live in sin and and so self-centeredness is just something that we automatically just gravitate to but now we are free to treat to 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 live a different kind of life because we know that anything of self will just not lead us in the right place. It will always have consequences. So now we are free. The freedom in Christ is that the Holy Spirit will cause us to, to sit up and take notice. Remember, I talked about these little red, little warning signs from the Holy Spirit, little red flags. He flashes in front of us. And we have the freedom to choose to do what's right. So he said, don't hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place. Boy, he doesn't spare any words. I mean, he just says, check yourself. Check about the thoughts that are going through your mind that if you don't take them captive, they're going to come out in action. Think about how you're talking to people. Think about if, if your, your um, conversation is, well, like last week, don't let unwholesome talk. Only talk that is for the a building of God's kingdom, not to tear down. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit by, by what's coming out of your mouth. Even though you might be the, the life of the party or you cause everybody to laugh. I mean, the thing that really caught me is when he said this is improper for God's holy people. So not just check your actions, but check about what's coming from your mouth and what kind of words you're saying. Instead, he said, but rather thanksgiving. The word thanksgiving alone is uplifting. We should be so grateful. In fact, when I was kind of pondering that thought, it is so easy nowadays when, when I think so many people's cup 
is half empty instead of half full. When, you're, when, you are, when your eyes are on your Savior, when your whole objective for living is about him and not you, when you are thankful, what a difference that makes in your attitude and, and in your demeanor and your countenance and what comes out of your mouth. And when was the last time you really counted your blessings? It's so easy to think on what we don't have or what we wish we had. But when we turn the table and start counting all the blessings that we do have and remember, remember, go back to Ephesians 1 and read those first 13 verses and remind yourself who we are and what we are because of Christ Jesus. You talk about blessed. And then if you then want to continue and then just look at, or look around you and, and that you have air to breathe and food to eat and a place to live in and people to love and, and the ability to, to listen to God's Holy Spirit and, and sense his direction on what he wants you to do so you can feel content and satisfied. and It's a wonderful way to live. We have the freedom in Christ to be able to have a victorious life even when it's not always easy. When life is even difficult, we have the freedom to look at the blessings he has given us we could be thankful for of this verse 5, for of this you can be sure. And I'm, I'm only going to read this because I am not making this up. This is God's word and Paul wants us to see how serious God is about our behavior. He's saying if your heart was really right if you were really walking with Jesus, if you were making effort, if you were working at this, if you wanted it bad enough, then you would watch your behavior change. But if you're just slipshod, if you think just going to church is fine, if you think that that not taking the time to, to keep your Bibles open and to study... I always say, not just a quick five-minute devotional either. You are willing to look at the, your time slot during the day and know that there is or, or there should be always time. Remember we mentioned last week what grieves the Holy Spirit. It's, it's when we're at the end of the day and we oh, sorry, Lord, I was so busy. I didn't have time for you. I'll do better tomorrow. And then, of course, tomorrow comes and, and we get going and what grieves the Spirit is that he watched your activities all day. He watched you pick what you wanted to do, and then all of a sudden, there was no time. So it grieves the Holy Spirit because it looks like then that we love ourselves and our own time and our own agenda more than we do Jesus. And Paul says, you got to look at this. For 
you can be sure of this. In other words, no kidding around. This isn't just this isn't just tough talk, but it really won't happen. You can be sure of this. That such uh, he's no immoral, impure, or greedy person. No immoral, impure, or greedy person. Such a man is an idolater. What does that mean? It doesn't mean that you're worshiping a little little figurine. It means that you are more important than God. Self is more important. You worship yourself and your desires more than God. Because if you really had him in his right place, like completely humble and gentle, then you would see and you would work at making sure that maybe some of your weaknesses, and we all have them, that we want the Holy Spirit to help us get beyond these weaknesses. Remember, Paul says, I insist that you don't go back. And sometimes we slip, but then I always say, if I can see progress, that's the whole formula of becoming like Christ. Sometimes it's three steps forward and two steps back, but, but we shouldn't go back to where we once were. And we should see the progression that we are becoming more Christ-like. And Paul is just being blatantly honest. And he says, if you really love your Savior, then you are not going to want to grieve his spirit that's living inside of you, trying to get you to change into the Savior's likeness. Let no one... Because he says, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to say it again. No immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a man is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Like I said, I know those are tough words, and I didn't write them. Paul wrote them under the, the Spirit's power because it's serious. Your behavior, your countenance, are you changed? Are you changing? Can you see any different? Can you see a difference in how you're falling into your weaknesses? That you're catching yourself quicker. That when you do fall into your weakness, you hate it so badly that you, like, like James says, hate what is evil and cling to what is good, that you run to your Bibles and you, you realize that you need to repent and confess and go back to the cross and get rid of it. But you know what repentance means is that you're saying to Jesus, I'm sorry and I don't want to do this again. I know it grieves you. Just think, has, has no, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ? That is tough, I know it. Let no one deceive you with empty words. I thought about that in the context of this writing. I thought, well, who is that? Let no one deceive you with empty words. It's maybe that person 
who says to you, oh, that's okay. You know, it, it, our itching ears want permission to do what we want to do. And a real friend, a real a person is a real friend to you when they dare say to you what you need to hear rather than what you want to hear. There's so many people who want, you know, who they could say one thing to your your to you and then turn right around and well, you know. He says, let no one deceive you with empty words. Just telling you what you want to hear. If somebody cares about you enough, they will in love tell you the truth and not deceive you with just empty words that just make you feel better. Or they will take and use them to your disadvantage and they'll talk behind your back. For because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. There's that word again. We want to stay clear of God's wrath. I mean, we know that we grieve the Spirit. We know that we probably make God angry when we continue to repeat what he has shown us. But eventually, that anger is going to turn to wrath. And that is the word we do not want. We do not want to seek God's wrath. So Paul said, I'm, I'm, I'm writing this letter and I'm writing these two chapters here to make sure that you are warned. In fact, we're going to get to the, another warning where he says, be careful. I mean, why do we need to be warned why does somebody need to say to us, be careful? I mean, it's like it's just like any warning. You're warned so it will prevent you from, from accident. It will prevent you from going in the wrong direction and then hurting yourself so badly. It's a warning so that you don't get careless. And that your attention is, that it catches your attention that you think before you act. So when he says these words, let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such words, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Paul is saying, and I will be very repetitive this week, and that is he is dead serious on our behavior. This is not to be taken lightly. This, are we living our lives with proper behavior? Are we living according to the standards of God's holy people? What, what were we called in this letter? Paul called us saints. You know, and, and right away, you know, we always shy away from that word, but I think we've all come to the realization that when you're his child, you are a saint. Well, if you're a saint, if you're his saint, then this is what I wrote in, this is what I wrote in my Bible. If you're a saint, act like it. 
see, along with the, the wonderful titles that we get, child of the king, a child of the most high God, a saint. I mean, those are beautiful titles, part of the family of God. But along with them come responsibility. You act like it. He pretty much says in verse 7, therefore, do not be partners with them. If you are, if you have, well, let me just say this. You got to look at who are your friends. Who are your so-called, in quotation mark, friends? Are your friends someone who loves you enough to tell you what you need more than what you want? Or is someone just trying to deceive you with words so that they can either manipulate you to do something they want you to do or they, they just want to get in your good graces for some reason or another or they say this, they, they say one thing and then they stab you in the back later. It's just a warning. And he says, don't partner with people like that. They're going to experience God's wrath someday. Then he goes on and explains that a little bit more about, about, are you for real? Because that should be another attribute that you check very frequently. Am I real or am I just saying the words, playing the religious game? Because he says, for you were once darkness, but now you are the light. You are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. If you, if you have God's spirit living within you, and you know you do, if you've taken that walk to that cross, that I say over and over, but I am not embarrassed to repeat that, especially to good church people, because it does not automatically happen. These are the terms God has set up for salvation that every one of us must meet. Once we did live in darkness, we didn't realize it. But once you've come to grips with who you are and who Jesus is and what he's come to do for you, you now are part of the light. You are the light in the Lord and live as children of the light. There's that live like it then. You can't say one thing and then act like another. Live as children of light for the fruit, the fruit of the light. Now Paul uses words like goodness and righteousness and truth the fruit, the fruit of the Spirit producing real love in us. The fruit that the Holy Spirit produces come out of, coming out of us. It, joy, peace, patience, and kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. This kind of Jesus character he expects to be coming out of us when we claim to be children of the light. 
We now have the light of the world living in us. Now act like it. And find out, look at verse 10, and find out what pleases the Lord. I mean, last week we found what grieves the Holy Spirit, who is the third person of the Trinity, equal Godhead. This, we know what, what so displeases, what grieves the Lord, is when we put ourselves first. Now we see when he says, find out what pleases the Lord. That should matter to you. That should matter. Find out. I like the way Paul says that. In other words, let's see if it really matters to you. Are you willing to take the time? Are you willing to make the effort? Are you really willing to change? Let's see if you really do want to be children of the light and have the fruit of the Lord coming from us. And do we really want to please him? Does it really matter? Do we really care? He says, have nothing, nothing to do with fruitless deeds of darkness. Now, what is that? That's the fruit itself. This whole chapter, in fact, I asked the question, if you have the questions, what do you think is the overall message of this chapter? I'm telling you, it is so, Paul is so making sure that we know that there's a war going on, and he's going to talk about it next week in chapter 6, but there's, there's such a war of self versus the Holy Spirit. In this chapter, it's kind of like an intro to next week's lesson because he's saying, I just need you to be aware of that you have this battle going on because your natural self wants to so reign and be in charge. And that's not the behavior of someone who is walking in the light. When you are, when you love Jesus, when you want his spirit to change you and redirect you into a whole different way of life, you will watch then this, these character changes. And that's why Paul says have nothing to do with that fruitless deeds of darkness. And that's going back to your old way when self was on the throne and self did want its way. Believe it or not, fruitless acts because you are back in the darkness. And he's saying, have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. Ooh, that's uncomfortable. I just soon keep that private. I just soon keep those little secrets about myself. I don't want people to know that. Listen, Paul goes on and says, for it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, for it is light that makes everything visible. I 
going back to a passage of scripture, and Paul wrote this too, but it reminded me, so I, I found it, and it's in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. And Paul is writing to the people of Corinth, and this is, this is what he writes. I care very little if I am judged by you or any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. Boy, that's honesty, isn't it? Paul says, you know, sometimes I don't even think, and I, I think, oh, I can't, that can't possibly be too bad, or, you know, you kind of think, oh, that'll, that, that's not serious, or whatever. Oh, my conscience is clear. He says, but that doesn't make me totally innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. He can see my motive. He can see what's really going on. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait till the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of men's hearts. Ooh, if that doesn't give you shivers and if that doesn't sit, sit you up so that you take notice. Someday, Paul writes to the people of Corinth about this too. You will appear, even if you are saved and you are, you're going to heaven, there's no question about it, we will still, be for, we will still stand before Jesus and a light will be shown on us. And it says that we will be judged, not for our sin, because they've been bought and paid for, but whatever you have done in your body, good and bad, a light will shine for all to see what really was the motive. Oh, we can be saved. I know I'm saved. I know that I'm going to heaven. There's no question about that. I sing blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. I know that. But does that, like Paul, I'm not innocent. Oh, I can fall so quickly. Or a thought, I just don't quick enough take it captive. And Paul said, you know what? Whatever you do since your salvation, if it isn't exposed by you and taken to the cross and you confess and repent, there's a day coming when a light will be shown and all will be exposed. I repeat in verse 13 of chapter 5, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible. He only says that to motivate us, to make sure that, that everything is about him and not about us, that self stays in its place, and that we keep the Holy Spirit on the throne of our life and our ears in tune with his voice instead of our own. And when we get a deluded thinking that, oh, this isn't so bad, this is not that big a deal, and, and nothing is done with it, that doesn't that just make you shudder? He wants us real. 
He wants us so completely truthful and real and no counterfeit, no religious game playing, spiritually growing and walking in the forward direction, making the effort, taking the time. This is why Paul writes this. This is why it is said, wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. I almost think that that was, that was um, Paul's, it was like a, a worship song or a praise song that, that he is quoting. Wake up, O sleeper. Rise up from the dead. Remember, we've been made alive in Christ. Paul talked about that a couple weeks ago when, when we've been made alive. We, the old is gone. He says in another letter, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I that lives. It's Christ that lives in me. Wake up, O sleeper. This is, this is serious. You, do you care for souls? Maybe you're really, you're really good at making sure that they're comfortable and people's needs are met, and, but you don't want to get down to the nitty-gritty and really you know, care about their soul. Do you really care? Wake up, O oh sleeper. Rise from the dead and know that we have one chance at life. And none of us knows what tomorrow is going to bring. So how serious are you taking this? Rise from the dead and, and let Christ shine on you. And those who look to Christ, they will be radiant. You will sparkle. You will stand out. And if people don't like it, then it's because they, they see themselves when we mirror Christ, they look in that mirror and they see themselves and they feel the guilt and they know they know what they need to do, but they just don't want to do it. Don't be one of those people. Wake up, O oh sleeper. You rise from the dead. And Christ will shine on you. And maybe some people will not care to be by you. Just remember, you're in good company. Because some people didn't like being by Jesus either. He convicted. He challenged. He made them see themselves. And it's far easier to run than it is address it. But our responsibility, according to Paul, from these instructions and warnings, he says, okay, now you wake up and you live like you're alive in Christ, that you are free in Christ, to choose to do what is right. Make your actions appropriate. Make sure that, that you are living according to your calling, which is to be a child of the Most High. Let Christ shine upon you. Then here it comes. Be very careful. Be very careful then how you live. 
He says, be very careful because you know why. You wear his name. Be very careful than how you live. Don't live as the unwise, but as wise. Wise what? Wise in his word. You know his word. You know his voice. You know what he's expecting from you because you learned it now. He says, now live like the wise. You are now wise in God's word and don't live like the unwise. Oh, it's much easier to live as the unwise because then you're listening to that loud voice that's taking you down the path that's natural. Living as the wise, oh, that's like swimming against upstream. It's hard work. But the difference and knowing that you're pleasing him instead of grieving him should matter. I repeat. You and I should be making the most of every opportunity now because the days are evil and we are running out of time. And the Bible is very explicit about that. There is going to be a final day here. This world as we know it is going to come to an end. As we, as the Bible says, judgment will happen. We will stand before him someday. Oh, I just hope that, like in the last days, it says, like in the, in the days of Noah, when no one cared. Oh, no, that's a bunch of hogwash. Oh, that's way down the road. I want to live for myself right now. I want to have fun. Oh, he said, don't let those deceiving people you stay away from those words. That's lies. Be careful. Don't live as the unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish. You know what? The Bible also says, it calls a, a what is foolish? The man who says there is no God. A fool is a man who says there is no God. And you're probably thinking, well, I would never say there is no God. I know there's a God. But if, you're, if self is on the throne and you're not listening to him and you're not heeding his warnings, you are so foolish. It's pretty much saying, oh, he doesn't really mean it. He, that's foolishness. He does mean it. And thank goodness Paul wrote these, these letters so that we can understand it is not difficult. So the only difficulty is, is that sometimes we plug our ears and we don't want to hear it. But the truth is very easy to understand here. What he expects, what the Lord expects from us is very easy to understand. Paul is very well aware of what's natural in our human nature and what, what we naturally want to do. I mean, he, he hinted it, well, about the sexual immorality, he, impurity, greed, and now he says this, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Don't get, don't get drunk with, and I don't believe he just means those who, you know, are, oh, you know, fall over dead drunk. You know, I think that we, we, we just kind of want to put that as, you know, we think, oh, of course that's not me. Do not get drunk on wine. I don't think he just means those who just get so terrible drunk that they pass out. 
think you're, he, he is, he's meaning that anything that impairs you in any way. Whatever, whatever takes you out of reality. And maybe say, well, I need a numbing. No, you need Jesus. You need his word. You need his Holy Spirit who can take you out of your miry clay and set you on your feet, on the rock to stay. He says, don't be foolish. Don't get drunk on wine, which leads to the ball, great. You know, when you are not in your right mind, when you are impaired in any way, you don't know what you're going to do. You don't know what you're going to say. I bet 99.9% .9 of the time you are not going to live the way he expects you to live. But more, you will probably, um, probably grieve. <laughs> this is our behavior. I mean, I go back to that phrase where he says, these kinds of actions are improper for God's holy people. If you wear his name, you really care for soul. You care for someone's soul not just their comfort. You care for their soul. He said, don't, don't get yourself in any impairment. I looked up a statistic. Do you, do you know that there are over 95,000 people in the United States that, that are killed every year through some because of some impairment, because alcohol or drugs or three million in the world. That's that's very serious. Paul contrasts, you know, he goes on to say, instead of that, instead of behavior like that, which does so much damage not only kills so many people, but you think about the homes that are wrecked because of this. He says, instead, be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. Do you know that alcohol is a depressant? And the, and the Spirit is a stimulant. Isn't that something? It, it's such an opposite. It's such a contrast. Alcohol is a depressant, and the Holy Spirit is a stimulant. A stimulant, and and He moves every aspect of our life in a much better performance. He says, speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. Sometimes people laugh at that, and they say, oh, am I supposed to be singing all the time? No, Paul said, you know, what we're to do is speak to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart. Now, you don't have to be singing all the time, but that attitude, that attitude of the psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, 
If you listen to a song and and you carry that message and you let the Holy Spirit remind you of the truth of that message in that song, it affects your behavior. I just wrote a, a few. I, I wrote a few down. Uh, I mean, there's so many new songs and good songs that are that are coming out. I mean, in fact, I, just when I was coming here today to record, I, I was hearing Mercy Me singing, um, I'm Almost Home. Oh, I love that. Oh, I keep that in my mind. I think no matter how bad it gets, I know that I'm almost home. The song goes on to remind me that someday my burdens will be gone. It also reminds me that I can, I can have a whole different attitude because I live in such hope. He says, sister, run wild, run free. Raise your hand because, because look what all you have. It just reminds you again of your spiritual blessings in Christ Jesus. But sometimes even those old hymns, I already mentioned blessed assurance. And then that, that next verse is this perfect submission. And, and we're going to get to that as we end this chapter about that word submission. That we're watching and waiting and we're looking above because we're filled with his goodness and we're lost in his love. We know it's ahead. We can hang on to that truth. Great is thy faithfulness. Oh, God, my Father, there is no shadow of turning to thee. Thou changest not thy compassions, they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever will be. Oh, what a difference that can make in your mood. I need thee, oh, I need thee every hour I need thee. Oh, bless me now, my Savior, I come to thee. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be really happy in Jesus. But when we trust and we obey, what good truth. Disobedience reaps consequences. Obedience reaps blessing. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus, just to take him at his word, just to rest upon his promise, just to know thus saith the Lord. Then sings my soul, my Savior, God to thee, how great thou art. The church's one foundation is Jesus Christ, her Lord. There's power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed how I love to proclaim it, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, redeemed through his infinite mercy, his child forever, a him. God be with you till we meet again. Till we meet at Jesus' feet. See, these hymns, that's why Paul says, look what a difference in your attitude. Look how much hope you, oh, that's right. Oh, that's right. When peace like a river attendeth my way, sorrow like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, that was taught me to say. My sin, not in part, but the whole was nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. And Lord, haste that day when my faith will be sight. 
these hymns remind you and you keep them in your heart and let the Spirit use them, it can make your day. Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus. Look at verse 20. I just, I just read it. Look at, those, look at two words. Look at two all-inclusive, always giving thanks. You say, well, but some things I am not thankful for. Well, Paul teaches us that we can be thankful in all things. Maybe not for them, but we can be thankful in them. We can be thankful that, that God is up to something for our good and he knows what we need when we need it. So always give thanks to him for what he's doing in our life because he does know what's best for everything. He didn't forget. He didn't miss anything. He knows. So give thanks. Always give thanks for everything as he is working in your life. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit. And now we're going to read these words. And wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. I hope you underline that. I hope you circle that. Instead of looking at this as such a negative, I'm going to, I'm going to try to take you down a road. Uh, when I looked up the word submit, I, what caught my eye was that in, in explaining submit was submission. Spiritual submission. If you look at this portion, instead of looking at this and you're kind of got your hands up and you don't want to go there and you don't, you don't want to be bossed. And, because really, you know what? Submission. Submitting does not mean that you don't have a say or that you don't have an opinion. That there's going to be times that you disagree. Believe it or not, someone who dares follow scripture and takes the word submit and then goes beyond and looks at it as submission. You know what you can look at it as, and this is what I, I tried to do. I looked at that word submission and I couldn't help but see the root word being mission. This is my mission for Christ. This is what this is what he has told me. This is what he wants from me. And he just wants me to be on his mission. I want to be on his mission. I want to be the kind of Christian, I want to live the kind of Christian life in obedience to what he wants that will please and honor him. Not always resisting. You know, remember, the world's definition of words and God's definition of words are not the same. So don't listen to the world trying to tell you, oh, you got to submit, you're underneath. No. No, we, we're not underneath. 
we're going to disagree. But he also knows that someone's got to finally say, but this is the way it's going to be. And if you go back to Genesis 3, one of the consequences that God said to Eve is that your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. This is the way God set it up. And when you, when you look at this, you say, yeah, but you don't know what kind of husband I have. You don't know how hard it is and he doesn't do. Now, this whole end of the chapter here, he talks to both. But for us women, for us married ladies, he's saying, I want you to submit. I want this to be, I want you to be on your mission. And the Lord, do it as to the Lord, because this is what he wants for you. And then he says this, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. You know, my husband and I have talked about this many times, and we have discussed, and he says, but you're so much better at this area than I am. He says, so as as head of this home, as president of this institution, he says, I now delegate you to take over this part of you know, because you're both individuals and you both have different gifts and, and when you come together and even though you know he is the head of the home but he also knows you're, you might be better in some areas, conversation and doing it together unto the Lord, being on the mission of the Lord to, be, to wear his name and to follow him in obedience. When you are together on that, You'd be surprised at how you can agree. And you do not feel less. Husbands, love your wives. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but a holy and blameless. Boy, that sure describes, isn't that beautiful how that describes how Christ loves each and every one of us and he's, he's striving, he's striving to make us holy and cleansing us by the washing with water through his word. Every day his word will keep cleansing us and push self and the dirty self away and so that we can have more of the light of Jesus so that we can be presented as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle. I mean, he's working on us so we can, we can represent him in this dark, ugly world that his children, his church can stand apart and, and let people look and see something that they would like and come along. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies that actually they, they want the best for her. 
That's, that is so beautiful. And I'll tell you, when, when both are working together, I mean, I'll tell you, when, if somebody loves me more than his own self, but I'll tell you, I, I'd just soon be on that mission. No wonder God said, I just didn't listen to a man like that. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated, hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Does that sound like that one's more important than the other one? Of course not. The two shall become one flesh. But the way God set it up is that then someone's got to be the final. But I tell you, when the husband loves his wife as Christ loves the church, and if and then the wife then wants to submit to her husband as to the Lord, it's an automatic. It's it's just the it flows beautiful. This is a profound mystery. It is something. How God can take two totally different people, two different sexes, and, and yet join them together and the two make a team? This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ in the church. You know, I asked the question, how, how important is marriage to God and, and why is it so important? I mean, it's obvious it is important. It's, it's an ordained, he ordained this. He came up with it. I think it's a demonstration of, of, of if when the husband and wife have the right relationship, it's, it kind of lets the world see this is how Christ loves his children. I mean, it's just this kind of love just works together. There's no self. It's just always for the other. It's working together as a team because we're serving Christ. It's all about him. It isn't about individual me. And then the team can work well when they're in one accord. However, each one of you must love his wife, and he loves him as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. He ends that way. I'm telling you, I end today by saying when you are walking in a right relationship with the Lord, when you are on his mission, when you are submissive to him, when he is at the top of your life and you submit to him and you're now on his mission, I'm telling you, when your walk with him is right, you will watch how all the relationships in our life work. And I know not everybody is doing this, but you know what? He's talking to you. He's talking to me. I am just responsible for doing what he expects. He is talking to me about the mission he has me on. Am I pleasing him? Am I living a life that is proper because I do wear his name? Heavenly Father, I know these are tough warnings, but it's for our benefit. May we heed and listen. We love you. But we know you love us even more. 
and you want the best for us. It's Jesus' name we pray. Amen.